everybody. Welcome to Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. I'm your host, Chris Cosentino. We are here to talk about people that inspire. And all my guests are inspiring in so many different ways. And I'm really looking forward to digging deep into how they got to where they are, to the top of their game, how hard they've worked, how much they've given up, and how they're giving back. So without further ado, here's our next guest. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. I am here with Chris Kohler of Kohler Chocolates. And for those of you who are not aware of Kohler Chocolates, you should be for one. And two, he is located uh, in Yauntville. So, you know, everybody comes through Yauntville, they go to wine country, and that's a must stop. Chris, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you. Thanks, Chris. I'm glad to be here. It's always good to see you. It's It's amazing to be able to you, well, for one, for you to take time during what I would like to call the holiday crunch, yes. <laughs> for you in particular, um, you're going to be, you've got to be completely swamped right now with holiday orders. So thanks for okay. taking time out of your schedule. Absolutely. It's uh, it's peak season. We're in the middle of holiday season uh, and it's the time to get crushed. And so we're, we're getting crushed right now with our, our shipping, our online orders, of course. And uh, the weekends have been uh, pretty huge too. So we have all hands on deck right now. It's go time. It's just uh, <laughs> nothing else but go. <laughs> so is is the Christmas season is like this season your height season, or is there other holidays that you feel are a little bit more aggressive? Well, you know, when I first got into the business, I thought it was going to be Valentine's Day. I was like, chocolate Valentine's. It has to be. But this is chocolate season, and chocolate season kicks off uh right after halloween you know we're full on so for us and i think most chocolate companies could be wrong but for us it goes christmas holiday season uh number one biggest thing everyone's getting gifts kids grandmas grandpas number two is easter and number three is valentine's so that's the biggest busiest time of years right now um valentine's is for lovers not everyone's a lover Valentine's. <laughs> and so not everyone's, uh, you know, getting chocolate or giving chocolate. But the holiday, we hit the kids, big demographic. We hit the the moms, dads, kids, you name it, for Easter and holiday season. You should, I, I think a way to boost your chocolate sales for, for Valentine's Day is you should make a, a non-lover's chocolate, like a I don't like you anymore chocolate, or maybe you do a you know, glad we're not together anymore, but we can still be friends. Chocolate, <laughs> the heartbreakers. We've done skulls before. Heartbreakers, the, the heartbreakers. Yeah, chocolate. We, did, uh -huh. we did hearts with big cracks in them, and we made some skull molds. So we had this the the the, the broken heart skulls, and, and they sold well. It sold so well that um, a couple who were getting married they wanted to do that for their wedding theme. <laughs> <laughs> we thought it was a joke but it, we went with it so they paid their bills <laughs> so i you know i kind of want to you know reverse back a little bit here i want to start at the beginning for you because i think chocolate work is very specific it's very particular it's um it's a craft that one i don't understand i mean i know how to put it in one said gullet and chew and enjoy it but you know it's a lot of variables in working with chocolate. And and I'd love for you to explain how you started. Like, what was this transition or how did it start for you to say, I want to be a chocolatier? Because it's not really, 
there's not, it's not as, I mean, it's super specific, excuse me. It's, it's a very specified craft and it doesn't come easily. No, it's, uh, you know, it wasn't in my plan. <laughs> That's for sure. I, I started off as a, uh, a good old cook. You know, I started in the, I wanted right out of high school. I tried, um, I went to culinary school, Johnson and Wales down in Charleston, South Carolina. I'm originally from the Atlanta, Georgia area. And uh, it wasn't, culinary school wasn't for me at the time. I didn't know what I wanted to do at the time. So I, I was only dabbled for maybe six months. And they actually put me on academic probation and said, don't come back for three months. And I never came back at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I started working odd jobs. I was a bike bike messenger at one point. I was a carpet person. I was a valet. I did all these weird, odd jobs. But then the restaurant business sucked me back in. I, I was like, I want, maybe I should give it another whirl. And so I cooked, I cooked all over um, and learning from chefs, no one, you know, not dripping of any big famous names, but well-respected restaurants in, in Denver, Colorado and uh, Atlanta, Seattle, and then Napa Valley. But it's, I spent about 17, 18 years working in restaurants, working my way through the ranks. And uh, here in Napa, you know, I, um, I was at Domaine Chandon uh Trevigne, go fish one of cindy paulson's restaurants yep um pinot blanc when it was around <laughs> wow that's before go fish uh-huh same building i was a closing sous chef and then the opening sous chef in the same building for the two different businesses which is pretty neat wow <laughs> in the meantime i was at Trevigne, so that was cool but you know I, I cooked for quite some time and then i was at a winery in uh sonoma and i uh I was a, a winery chef. I started a, a food program for Peter Michael Winery in Sonoma. And that's where Kohler Chocolates basically started. It, it uh, the, I, I always wanted to do something else besides be a savory cook, a savory chef. But there was never enough time. It's like, you're either going to be a pastry and baker and really focus on it and be good at it. You're going to be a restaurant, hotel, a savory chef and really be good. Or you're going to be a... a sugar and chocolate <laughs> and be really good at those things and i wanted to be good at something else and and learn something else and sir peter he was a knight sir peter michael he, he was knighted by the queen and uh he was very kind to me and he said hey use the kitchen whatever you want to do when we're not in town you know we don't have any events we don't have any food and wine pairings do whatever you want to do so i was like great this is awesome so i started working with chocolate but it wasn't just, oh, I want to just start working with chocolate. I uh, This is a neat story. I was driving my car, getting ready for a Peter Michael dinner. And I was driving really fast, like a, like a moron. And I was on a curvy, windy Sonoma road over between, let's say, Healdsburg and Calistoga. That, that big stretch of one. Great for riding our bikes on. I, I know you've been out there a ton of times. Yep. And I was going a little too fast and I, um, well, let me reverse a little bit. I was making a veal and gnocchi dish for dinner and I left my gnocchi at my side kitchen before I got, got to work. And I asked my friend, I was like, Hey, meet me back here. I forgot the gnocchi. I need the gnocchi for the dinner. And they, they met me back on the side road. And as soon as I got it, I was hauling ass trying to get back to the winery and I lost control of the car. And I ran into a, another car, a family of four. And that's when everything just stopped in my life right there. I almost, you know, injured or could have possibly killed somebody rushing 
to get the gnocchi back to the winery to make a dinner for 12 people. And uh, I was on the side of the road looking at the car and looking at the mayhem I had caused. And I was like, I'm doing this because I'm going too fast. I'm rushing. I'm doing something that's I'm pushing it just to get something done where it can take more time and be uh, more mellow on, on how I do things. So it was a time in my life where I said, I need to chill the fuck out. I need to calm down. You know, this there's there's no reason to do that chocolate was there for me it was one of those things where i didn't have to rush it it takes time to make it it's called tempering chocolate for a reason because it needs to be calm and at a good temper and that's when i really started focusing on chocolate so i read a lot of books i saw a lot of pastry chefs that i worked in restaurants with and they taught me a bunch of stuff and i would give chocolate to the uh to my guests at the end of these uh, peter michael dinners some of the dinners would be 100 people, some would be 15 people, but they would keep on calling for it. And they're like, hey, where can I get more? Where can I get more? And um, in 2011, I was like, hey, you know, there, there, I think there might be a business here. Um, I started to sell a lot of chocolates, make it in my home kitchen and at the Peter Michael Winery Kitchen. And so next steps happened. You know, there was a place available in Yonville, uh, in the V Marketplace, and it was for lease, and it was an empty shell. We built a display kitchen in the inside and a retail storefront and took the chance, took the risk. Uh, bootstrap company, every investor and every bank said, no way, we're, we're not giving you any money. <laughs> they, they'd give me money, but interest rates were like over 35%. It made no sense. I didn't want to go that deep just to get this going. So some friends helped me out with money and uh, a couple uh, really nice people loaned me money and I, I paid everybody back. So it's it's 11 years later, it's been uh, quite the journey, you know, quite the journey. That's amazing. So like that car accident basically changed your thought process. It changed my thought process 100%. 100%. Every time I ride my bike by that area, <laughs> I get chills. I'm like, Ugh. it's one of those pivotal moments in my life as, as a, as a uh, aspiring chef. And, you know, once again, like I started, I told you at the beginning, it wasn't in my plan to go, I'm going to go make chocolate for a living. I want to be a chocolatier. Not at all. But then I, I once I crossed the dark side, <laughs> the chocolate, I kind of liked it. And it was hard, you know, it was not an easy product to deal with. It was very hard. So since that, let's just step back since the opening, right? And, and you know, I've been to your shop. I've watched you glossé. I've watched you work with your, what is that big round drum that looks like it's a giant dish, dish uh, uh, yes. washer? Drage, like a, the drage machine, yeah, right? The panning machine, the drage, yeah. Or drage, uh, you know what has been the steps since opening? Like what have you, I mean, this is a continuously learning game, right? You're never, you're always having to grow, whether it be new flavors, whether it be techniques. And let's be honest, I mean, chocolate techniques are evolving rapidly, right? Are you taking continual education courses? Are you, you know, working with chocolate and I use chocolate makers different than what you do there is the the person who fabricates said chocolate right from the beginning whether it be valrona or scharfenberger or um 
who else do we have? Uh, We've got Cho here in the Bay Area. Oh, who else is local? Uh, e Guitard. Guitard. Sorry, my brain is filled with jello right it's now. It's okay. That's all right. <laughs> but so there's the chocolate, the people who manufacture the chocolate itself with all its different varying percentages. And for folks out there, I mean, there's 100% chocolate and there's all the way down to what's the lowest percentage? You get down to the 30s, you get down to white chocolate and you can get down to, yeah. So sweet as you want it, as dark as you want it, it's out there. And I think that's what's really interesting is that you're getting not only you're getting monocultivar varietals of chocolate from one particular region of the world with one specific type, right? And then you have blends. How are you making and learning these things along? Is it something you've been learning along the way? Do you devil into dive into one thing at a time? You know, when you're when you're when you're doing it, it's like, okay, I'm gonna focus just on monocultivars of chocolate or blends, or are you focusing on technique or are you kind of just combining it all at once and just trying to learn as much as possible a little bit of everything but baby steps for sure at the beginning i mean understanding the product the medium of working with chocolate um what chocolate do i want to use you know there, there's so many different chocolate makers out there from a from a hershey to a Lentz to a e-guitar to a valrona to a felshan to cho to you go to the bean to bar department in a grocery store, you're going to get bombarded with all these different, they're chocolate makers. They're, they're, ro they're roasting their own beans and they're sourcing it from wherever in the world they want to get it. So it's ultimately it's back to that chef's mindset of, okay, I want to make sure when I make this product and that guest came in a year, two, three years ago, and they order that dish that it tastes the same uh, when they come back, when they, visit Napa Valley and they come back to the chocolate shop and they want that red wine chocolate or that fennel pollen chocolate. So we make sure we use, you know, we use a lot of single or origin plantation chocolates where it grows matters, but we make sure we use that same base chocolate throughout the years. That doesn't change at all. Um, that's the experience we want to give our guests, but as a chef does, and as a cook does, you know, when the seasons come and go, we'll rotate with a seasonal you know, what's looking good out there, you, you know, what, what what's good in the garden or the herb department, uh, you know, chocolate doesn't grow here, it doesn't grow in California, it doesn't grow in Minnesota, it doesn't grow in Georgia, it doesn't grow in New York, it, it needs to be near the equator, and so 10 degrees north and south of the equator is where they're going to be harvesting and growing chocolate. Hawaii grows chocolate, that's the only place in the U.S. that, that grows it, which is pretty cool if you're ever on the big island, uh, do a chocolate tour. <laughs> super cool super fun yeah, but I mean, that's an amazing that's a really good point i think that you know that chocolate is everywhere in the world but it's grown in such a minute area minute exactly you know where, where you see coffee being grown chocolates there vanilla beans chocolate they need that massive tropical weather on the equator and we like a lot of our chocolate from ecuador we like a lot of our chocolate from you know south america africa uh, Africa is the biggest producer of chocolate in the world. They're like 70, 75% of the world's uh, chocolate production comes out of Africa. It's a big country, <laughs> big continent. <laughs> so when you're, when you're working on, on this education component of doing, you know, whether it be working from a single origin farm or, or are you looking specifically to pick that style of chocolate for one particular item like let's just use i'll use for example your 
your uh, pine tip or pine needle infused um, chocolate? What would, how do you start that process of saying, okay, we're going to use pine needle here, or maybe it's yuzu matcha, or maybe it's pumpkin pie spice. I'll just, I'm throwing stuff. Sure. Out, right? I mean, I know I hit two of ones that you made. Oh, you hit all three. I, we did all three of those. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh -huh. how, what is that process for you? How does it work? Okay. I mean, I know you start with the, with the, let's just say, let's use pumpkin spice, right? Cause everybody knows that you start with the pumpkin spice. How do you then say this chocolate works better than this particular varietal of chocolate? Cause that's, you know, and what percentage and how do you go through uh -huh. that process to build that out? Because, you know, different cocoa butter fat, gives different mouthfeel, different sweetness, changes the complexity of spices. The bitterness that's found in chocolate can change so much more. I mean, I think chocolate has tannins to it, just like wine. So- 100%, 100%. And so all the above, all the above. So when we develop a new bonbon, a new truffle, a new bar, our our number one goal at Kohler Chocolates, and this is- our practice, this is what we believe in, is we want to make sure that there's a 50-50 balance of tasting that awesome chocolate, wherever it's sourced, wherever it's from Venezuela or parts of the Caribbean, that awesome chocolate and the flavor that we're infusing with it have that 50-50 balance. Whether you get that chocolate with the tannins in the in the front end and the, the bitterness on the back end with the, the pumpkin spice nice and mellow going through. We want to have 50-50 balance. So we'll make five or six different ganaches, starting with the sweeter chocolate from the whites to the milks, to the, the, the dark milk, to the darks, to the dark darks, and say, okay, we'll close our eyes and we'll make these and we'll blind taste them and ask ourselves, where are we getting the best balance from beginning to end? Sort of like the wine folks want to have a well-balanced Cabernet Sauvignon that has a nice beginning, a well-rounded middle, and a long-lasting, <laughs> lingering finish. You know, that winemaker's that winemaker's taking his time to make sure that's what the palate's going on in the palate to the brain, to the to the stomach, to the taste buds. So that's how we come up with um, you know, um our flavors and like something with a caramel, the redwood needle caramel is very stringent it's very uh there's some high acid notes and high sour notes when you nibble on a pine needle a uh, redwood needle and so we decided to make a caramel out of it to have that caramelly flavor carry through with those acids on the back end of a needle but with a dark chocolate shell that's mellow at about 62 percent that doesn't destroy that whole caramel flavor but the acid in that chocolate will help it out on the long finish so like you eat one of these pieces of chocolate or, uh, you know, drink a wine or have a, a braised piece of meat or something like that, that's still going and going and going after, well after you eat it before you go on to your next bite of anything. And that's what we want to try to get uh, with our chocolates, well-rounded chocolates. And how long does this process take to from, from you know, and, and, and we'll go back to this laying out those 10 different, you know, tasters you right. know are you using the same recipe per like the same amount of pumpkin spice for each one along the way or is that varying from you know from let's just say from white chocolate to 72 percent 
you know, when you're making that ganache, how do you make those? Cause those are big, big things to swing back and forth. Right. Right. And we're talking about measuring in grams here. We're not talking about cups and tablespoons and archaic measuring techniques that we use here <laughs> in the States. Uh, this is like really refined. And I think it's really important to understand that because if you overdo the spice in the white chocolate, as we both know, it will overpower the white chocolate, right? It has a higher cocoa butter content and it's going to blow your palate off. But if you underdo it in the dark chocolate, you've lost all your, all your flavor profile. Exactly. And we also have to play with moisture. You know, moisture can be your friend or enemy when we're doing these balances. And most of these are cream-based or fruit-based ganaches. And so we don't put any additives or preservatives or any flavor boosters or anything weird in there to make the flavor taste uh, or shelf life to be as long as possible. They're fresh. They're about six weeks. And so we're using natural everything. So we do back off a few ground. One more cinnamon stick in that cold infusion, <laughs> you know, one more little bit of allspice in there. And the, we're down to grams. So we'll we'll push and pull. Usually the sweeter things, um, you know, sweeter things have a longer shelf life because there's more sugar in it. But we don't want to demolish the whole flavor of, you know, when you eat a pumpkin pie chocolate, you know, the flavors of pumpkin. You want to take a bite of that chocolate, have your eyes closed and be like, wow. I'm at Thanksgiving having some pumpkin pie chocolate in my mouth right now, but it's a little bit, you know, it's a little bonbon bite. So creams are enemy in the fact that if you have too much moisture in a bonbon, you're going to develop mold. You know, if you have too less of moisture, it's going to be stiff and it's not going to have a nice mouthfeel. And so Moisture balance is a big deal when we're doing all this stuff. Most of our, well, not most, all of our infusions are done cold. So we'll we'll steep, um, whether it's a spice or it's a uh, or vanilla or, or uh, saffron or whatever we're doing, we'll do it cold for 48 hours and let it really seep into the fat lipids in the cream, bring it all up to a boil, then strain it after two days and then emulsify it to get the flavor we want. So it's it's not a wham bam thing. Everything's run on a production schedule here, which is pretty cool. Unlike uh, you know, restaurants kind of run on a production schedule, um, but then you have a lot of mixed variables when when you're uh, you know plating food. <laughs> the steak medium well, they wanted it medium rare. The salmon's charred too much. The green beans suck. The customer hates the green beans. He wants broccoli rob now. The sauce is broken and. Ah, we're not in that. that no, way. I mean, it's, it's a very, I mean, you're in, I like to call it a chocolate laboratory, right? Yes. You no. Know, and I think there's a lot of processes that need to happen to get to the final beautiful stage of that bonbon of that perfect ganache. Um, even all the beautiful um, colors that you're layering on the top of the hard shell of the bonbons is really um, that takes a lot of time and a lot of thought. And, you know, we're talking about edible garnishes here. We're not talking about, you know, fake weird things that you have to pick off. You know, if you can't eat it, don't use it is been my thought process. So how, and let's start with the opening of the restaurant or excuse me, of the chocolate lab in Yachtville to, to now, like, what are the things that you have seen the, 
the the hurdles and the wins that have happened along the way because i think it's really interesting like what has been like those monumental steps where you're like oh shit to those moments that are oh shit yeah (laughs) because there's two types of oh shit there's the good oh shit and then there's the oh shit you know right from the very beginning it was oh shit you know i couldn't get funded and the first oh shit moment was like we're cutting opening costs in half we need x amount of money we're only getting half of that let's just get the cash register rolling you know let's get let's get some sales going and luckily we had good sales right from the get-go um we started with uh very few people there's like four or five of us when we started i used to have a business partner at the very beginning and um the big oh shit moment with the business partner is uh we went separate directions and we weren't business partners anymore and there was you know there was an oh shit moment of buying out a business partner it's like how's the company going to do this how's this going to work um but we made it through and it was it was very 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 challenging i've always had good employees here and and good people working here they they feel the heart and soul of the company you know i'm a i'm a I come from a working bee background. I started, you know, washing the dishes and working in the prep and working the salad station and working my way to the saute and the grill. And, and, you know, it wasn't easy. I was working two or three jobs at once, sleeping in my chef's basement, (laughs) you know, because I I couldn't afford a place to live. And so I think I was prepared for, oh, shit moments when it became an owner and like, oh, shit, I can't pay rent when I was a cook. Oh, shit, I can't uh keep my bank account <laughs> and a negative above negative you know but I, I will show up to work every day and make sure i i, I learn something uh, I, I uh i i harbor good work ethic and uh i show up to work on time every day and, and learn and so i think those moments got me ready i had a bookkeeper i caught embezzling the things you don't think about in the business plan but i caught it soon oh shit <laughs> that sucked um pandemic comes along Woo-hoo! here comes the pandemic all right we're we're uh how did we survive that we 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 pivoted into virtual demonstrations um we sold every last bit of chocolate we had in the shop when we were regulated to close because we we're considered in a mall in the building we're in and, and that was the very beginning of the pandemic and so that was a big oh shit moment looking at a bustling chocolate shop it's like there's not one piece of chocolate in here right now, and usually we have good inventory. That was just probably the, the scariest moment uh, for the business of what's going to happen next. And then I was able to slowly rehire people back. And then we closed again, and we have those moments again. But we're like more prepared for those moments now. All of a sudden, <laughs> so it's been like survival mode since March fifteenth, two thousand twenty. Um. But then we had a big turnaround and growth and good success and and pulling our pants back up and, you know, fighting, fighting to to stay and uh, keep, keep it going. Google was really nice to us in this process and they did 1500 virtual demonstrations all at once. Um, They wanted to help small businesses and we landed on their radar. So we were really grateful for that. But all in all, the businesses, uh, you know, we take a lot on the chin being a business. Daggers come at you from all angles, as you know, <laughs> the, the ones you expect and the ones you're like, where did that come from? And you just have to uh, 
take it with a grain of salt and and, and figure it out. <laughs> Just figure it out. It's hard. Well, let's talk about a couple um, pivotal things I think that have happened and, and that I've seen over the years, right? You know, you you competed on uh, Food Network, right? In one of the Food Network sh uh, shows, if I'm correct, it was Chopped. The Chopped show, yeah. And how did that go? That was good. It was... Uh... I won my I won my competition, which was great. I went in it. I went because my PR, I had a PR team at the time. They're like, oh, this would be good publicity. You win and lose, doesn't matter. Just show up, Kohler, you know, go. So I showed up and it became really good. And we saw a nice uptick on our online sales because of it. It was, it was pretty cool. But it was uh, it was uh, real. There's no TV magic. It was a one shot, <laughs> one done, and that's it. The only time that they would do a second shot, if Ted Allen, the announcer, the host, would say, I want to do that line again, you know, so he'd do that a couple of times and that was it. But it went well. Martha Stewart was my judge and, and uh, Chris Santos and Mehmet, but Martha was stone cold Martha. She ate everything with chopsticks and as judges, as they should be, they're very critical. So it was kind of uh, neat to be under that microscope of some highly critical judges <laughs> on it was a savory show <laughs> so it was uh it was fun i would do it again but uh it was a neat experience you've had a bunch of write-ups about all the different styles of chocolate you're doing i mean you've been in bicycling magazine for your bike bark right yeah. um, you even were on the top of mount vontu with your tour de france bonbons which included a yellow jersey with a, a, what would you consider that? Like a little tube. It was basically your version of a hypodermic needle filled yes. with, with gel, <laughs> um, a fluid gel of, of flavor. But that also made the news. Um, you know, it was, uh, I do recall, and I would never laugh so hard. So these, you had these four bonbons, which were representative of the white jersey, the yellow jersey, the sprinter's jersey, and the climber's jersey. But the yellow jersey came with a special edition. The yellow, uh, yeah, it came with a dopers uh, aspect to it, and, and so big. You know, anyone who follows cycling and follows sports, big controversial topics of you know blood doping. So, you know, we like to play off of uh, modern things at Kohler Chocolates, and we like to consider ourselves a modern chocolate company. We don't practice, you know, we practice old world techniques and fundamentals, but our design profiles and some of our flavors are a little bit more modern and more uh, personalized for where we are in this region. And I love cycling. You were both cyclists as much as we can. And I thought it would be funny for our tour de France to have uh, a coffee Kahlua pipette in the side, but just for fun. <laughs> and know? that one caught a lot of attention. I recall people actually brought it to the tour de France. We're taking pictures at the top of onto with it. That was a real fun one. That was and a fun one. You know, I know you have, you know, you've even done the chocolate toothbrush with the ganache toothpaste tube, which is definitely not loved by dentists or maybe is loved by dentists all over the country because it brings more children into them on the regular basis to get cavities filled. I think that's that levity and that fun aspect has always been, I mean, you made a Millennium Falcon one year, which was we awesome. did. We, we couldn't keep up with those. The the anti dental kit you get you get a a mint chocolate ganache and a little tooth uh, tooth uh, paste tube that we sourced filled it and then you get two hard solid chocolate toothbrushes 
And uh, it was one of those fun things, a little time, more time consuming to do those and get them in those containers, but they sold like crazy. And uh, we had to pull back when we had to focus on, you know, we used to have a chocolate sushi, like all the really, really fun things that I think separate us, we pull back on because uh, our bonbon, our production on that is most important. You know, we have to look at numbers and analytics and sales, but once we get out of these really thick times of year, the uh, the seasons are heavy. We get to go back to play and have fun. And one of our next things we're going to do is like a sardine can where we actually can it with a, a can crimper. We're going to put different layers of ganache and pralines in there. And uh, you, you'll take your hard fish and you'll dip it in there <laughs> like you would get a our, our spin on a sardine can <laughs> or sardine tin. Oh, that's and, awesome. I can't wait for that one. Yeah. Chef Izzy, my sous chef, uh, she's mastered the crimping on it. She's the only one who can do it right. <laughs> did, you, just, did you do you have a can crimper or are you doing it all by hand? We do a, a, a manual can crimper. <laughs> oh my dude. I know. I know. You can get you do know that there is I, I know. <laughs> I do need to get a plug-in machine for that. Yeah. No, it's a hand crank. Get the hand crank. <laughs> Simpler and easier. I'll send you the link. <laughs> Please do can stuff at the restaurant all the time. Very cool. So, so what's what's next for you right now? I mean, are you I think there's there's always something to learn. You're always working on new flavors. You know, I know you and I joked around one year when we were doing Chef Cycle because one of our fellow riders thought he was downing a goo and downed a chamois butter instead. So we had joked around about making chamois cream tubes filled with ganache. John Duya, yeah, poor guy. <laughs> That'll go down as one of the best days. Oh, he must have been so sick after that. I don't know if he finished that. <laughs> it, it caught went through the group of riders, riders real fast. Took down a tube, a tube <laughs> of uh, chamois cream. <laughs> chamois cream is a smooth, uh, a smooth paste, so you don't get chafed. It's definitely <laughs> not for eating. So that uh, I'm sure will come out maybe during this summer, during the tour this year. You can do chamois cream. Yeah, no, we're, we're um, you know, you asked me a little bit earlier. It's like we continuously take classes and, and learn and talk to the chocolate community is huge. Well, it's small, but we all talk to each other. You know, there's a there's we all bounce stuff off each other. I'll, I'll reach out to one of my favorite chocolatiers, Michael Recruity in San Francisco. Like, Mike, I have a question on this equipment or this process. And he'll be come on down. Let's talk about it. You know, more than happy um you know it's a neat community there but there's all sorts of schools and training and books and i try to send my um chocolatiers to schools in new york or in las vegas and go do hey go study this for three days four days they're going to train you they're going to show you things they're going to speak to you in a different way and um you know hopefully we'll get that way to making a john do you chamois butter soon and and, and produce it <laughs> it'd be fun <laughs> You do that would be an amazing thing, actually. It'd be so good. What a what a ride. What a ride. <laughs> so <clears throat> I like to play a game. And I okay. know I know you've got to get back to chocolate making. So we're gonna play a game real quick, okay? You ready? Okay, games. No wrong answers. Okay. Coffee tea. Tea. What am I supposed to say? You're what do I like better? Whatever you like better, it's fine. I drink green tea every morning. Wow, I would have never guessed that. 
And then I'll have a like a little small half cup of coffee. <laughs> so you like both. <laughs> <laughs> but I used to drink like two big full cups of coffee. But I drink my green tea in the morning to start my day. Wow. Uh, Nigiri, sashimi. Sashimi. Sea urchin caviar. Sea urchin. Lobster crab. Crab. Dungeness or Alaskan king? Oh, gosh. I was going to say blue crab from the East Coast. There you go. There's your answer. See? Yeah. <laughs> soft or hard? I love me some soft shells. <laughs> Hamburger, hot dog? Burger. Ketchup, mustard? Mustard. Dijon or whole grain? Ooh, Dijon. Pasta or noodles? Pasta. Ravioli or dumplings? Ravioli. Burrito or taco? Ugh, tacos. Ravioli and dumplings, a tough one. That's a tough one. Well, they're just so similar, many. but they're not. It's they're tough. not similar. They're similar, yeah. but they're not. They're a stuffed item, right? Yes. But some are steamed and some are boiled and some are baked on one side. And then the other ones are just, mm -hmm. right? I had dumplings last night. <laughs> Oh, there you go. <laughs> Beef or pork? Beef. Chicken or duck? Chicken. I love duck though, but chicken. I don't eat. I don't eat as much chick duck as I eat chicken. Very good. Uh, white wine, red wine. Uh, red Pinot. Dark beer, light beer. Yeah, don't do the beers. Light spirits, dark spirits. I like me rye whiskey. Nice. Dark. You, you're very fancy. I'm not that fancy. No. Small sips. Guilty pleasure. Guilty pleasure. Oh man, I love me some uh, peanut M and M's. I'll I'll take down a pound bag in a in a city. Wow. I know. It's horrible. Favorite, favorite fast food. Ooh. You know, I love me some Chick-fil-A. Wow. Pickles and mayonnaise. I know. <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh-huh. Chocolate or fruit? Ch chocolate is a fruit, kind of, with beans in it. I mean, if we go down to where it grows, they'll call it fruit. On the inside, there's this pulpy mixture. It tastes like mango, met coconut, met an apple, met passion fruit. It's weird. It's weird inside of it. Amazing. Yeah, it's real weird. So, Chris, tell people where to find you if they want to get some chocolates. Um, if they want to follow you on Instagram, tell them where to find you. We are uh, Instagram at Kohler Chocolates uh we're located our storefront is located at uh Yonville, 6525 washington street 94599 <laughs> we're open seven days a week 10 to 5 30 we ship all across the country um it's a cool dynamic little place we're about to have a big renovation in our building here we're, we're along for the ride so come see us please our website Colorchocolates.com.
it's really great because you can go to the location, you can watch them through glass window, you can watch them, you know, filling bonbons, making ganache, you can watch him, watch him working with Drage machine. You know, there's so much going on as well as you can sample and uh, meet his great staff. And by the way, they are great. So Chris, thank you so much for taking time out of your insanity, which is known as the holiday push. Holiday push. <laughs> Thanks, man. I'm, I was glad, happy to step back and we're going to get back at it. And uh, hopefully we'll go on a bike ride here sometime soon. Got to show you my new whip. Yes, I look forward to it. Thank awesome, you. Chris. Thanks for joining me. And for those of you folks, make sure you take a listen to some of the previous podcasts which is Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. Thank you, and uh, have a good day.